two verses in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 16. And then our second verse is Genesis. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And Hank, if you could just maybe lower that just a little bit, bring it down a hair, that would be good. Because if I get excited, yeah, we just, just enough so you can hear me. Praise the Lord. Well, we were born to give. We were designed to give. In fact, the Bible talks about us being born again through the seed of David and the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham was that, that new creation produced by the blood covenant. And um, that seed that produced you and I, his name is Jesus. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world he gave. So God is a gift giver. And he made us in his image and in his likeness. And being made in his image and in his likeness, we are designed to give. In fact, we're not going to be happy or fulfilled in life until we're giving those gifts that God has put in our life. And uh, that's what this series is all about. So if you have found Proverbs chapter uh, 18, or Proverbs 18 and verse 16, it says, A person's gift makes room for him or her and leads them before important people. So God's gift will make room for you in life. And the second scripture is taken out of Genesis chapter 30. It says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. I can't express it probably quite as dramatically as Rachel must have made that cry when she said it to Jacob. But if you could just imagine it, give me children or else I die. Well, as I was saying, this series, You Were Born to Give, is all about the real you being hidden in the gifts that God has put in your life. And when you realize that gifts from God are planted within you, they were there when God formed in your mother's womb your soul. He formed it around those gifts. And when you realize that, you begin to seek God for the gifts that he put in your life. And when you begin to work with the Lord to develop those gifts and to use them, then you begin to become the person God designed you to be, the real you. And you begin to emerge, and then life will begin to make a place for you. And I think of, tragically, all of the people who've gotten themselves stuck in terrible places in life, um, stuck in unhappiness and, and uh, misery and just going from one thing to the next because they don't know that God has put a gift or gifts in their life, in their soul. And if they would begin to realize that and turn to him and let him begin to show them those gifts and begin to develop them in his life, then life would begin to make room for you. And that is why Jesus said, it's more blessed to be a giver than to be a receiver. He wasn't saying that it's better for everybody if you give rather than get. But I think he was making reference to something, a principle a lot more profound. He was saying, you'll be better if you live as a giver than if you go around living as a receiver. It's better, stronger in every way. Life will open up for you if you live as a giver rather than as a receiver. And the reason Jesus said that is because your entire walk with God revolves around you giving your gift. Now, this morning, I want to combine with the idea of giving the concept of leadership because being a giver has everything to do with becoming a leader in this life. And I'll bet some of the things I want to share with you today about leadership, and this morning I'm just going to start and put the idea of leadership out there. We'll take the next few weeks in the context of understanding that God's called you to be a giver. We'll 
take the next few weeks to open up the idea of what does it really mean to be a leader in life. But what I want to do today is simply get you to buy into the idea that if you live as a giver, that God will develop you as a leader in life. In fact, let me put it to you like this. God's plan in life and in the world is for givers to become leaders. That's God's idea of true leadership, is that leadership should be in the hands of people who live as givers. When God's hand comes on the gift in your life, the desire to give, will naturally rise up from within you when God stirs that gift. Maybe last week when you were listening to the message, something stirred up within you, the desire, I want to use this gift. I want to live through the gift of God that is within me. And when the hand of God, because I hope you've gone home and begun to pray, Lord, show me what gifts you have put in me. Help me to see them. The more that you pray and the hand of God begins to move upon that gift in your life, the more you're going to want to give. That desire to give is going to naturally develop and it's going to rise up within your life. And when it does, that's going to be the beginning of you being qualified for leadership. Because true leadership occurs in life when someone develops the gift that God has put within them and then uses it the way that he has intended them to use it. It inspires hope in other people and it encourages them to follow your example when they see you living the gift of God in your life. God's purpose is for all of you to be leaders. And I want to invite all of you to buy into that concept and if you would, just put your hand over your heart and say, this is my heart. God has given it to me. He put gifts in this heart from my mother's womb. When Jesus became Lord of my life, he brought his anointing and more gifts into me. And so, Lord, with my heart, I desire to be a leader. Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, I want to share this verse with you. You're very well familiar with the Bible's verse about uh, becoming a new creation, but I'd like to read it out of the New Living Translation. I just kind of like the nuance of, um, of how it's phrased. See if you don't agree. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given to us this task of reconciling people to himself. So you see married together with the idea of God making you a new person by putting his gift into your life it's married with the responsibility, the call to leadership. Because we have received the gift of reconciliation, have been reconciled to God, God says he has given you the task or the mission of leadership. That is reconciling people to yourself. True leadership is always found between those bookends of leading people to Jesus. In whatever venue, whatever area of responsibility, whatever task or mission you find yourself in in life, everything should fall within that focal range of using that position to be an example to bring others to Jesus. That, in essence, is true godly leadership. Let's, uh, let's take a moment and define leadership because how many of you first, let me ask, have ever been to a leadership seminar. Maybe some of you in the business world went and took a, would you, yeah, let me see your hands again. You've been to some kind of leadership seminar. If you've been to some sort of a leadership seminar, how many of you, uh, in addition to that, maybe have read books on leadership, you know, John Maxwell books and, and that sort of thing. And uh, not to, not to um, throw shade on any of those uh, uh, teachings, any of those concepts, but um, 
It gets to the point in life, as the years go by, you hear that term leadership, or we're going to have a seminar on leadership, and you just kind of groan within. Because the takeaway always comes out to with the idea, it always is distilled down to, well, some people have got it, and some people don't. And uh, you've got to have some sort of natural gifting to be a leader. If you don't, forget it you fall into some other class, some other category, which could probably be put under the general heading of drone, <laughs> or worker, or something like that. But that's not what the Word of God says. So I want to, um, I want to go right at and challenge the idea that leaders are people who want followers. They want people to hear them. They want people to see them. They want people to follow them. In fact, they, they need people to follow them. And we usually make those people leaders in life because they want to be leaders. And most people don't want to be uh, uh, tangled up with the business and the responsibility of being a leader. That's because the concept of leadership has been tortured through 6,000 years of human history. We've got the idea wrong. And Jesus came to show us what true leadership was about. And true leadership is supposed to be invested in the idea of discovering the gift that is in you and you becoming a light through giving that gift to the world in whatever way or mission or task the Lord has given you. Leadership, God shows leadership through you exercising the gift in your life. So let's define leadership in a very simple definition. I'd like you to adopt this definition, if you will. Leadership is guiding others through influence. It's guiding other people through influence. What is it in me that can influence other people? Now, the first thing that we ought to be thinking is, well, God has put some gifts in me. If truly I give myself to those gifts and I let the Lord be exalted in those gifts, those gifts will influence others. And you see that all over the pages of the Bible, especially the New Testament that talks about all these different gifts that the Lord puts in our life. If we humble ourselves and are diligent to give ourselves to God to in, in the developing and the deploying of these gifts, it will influence others around us. So leadership in its simplest form is influencing other people. So in that sense, surely every Christian is called to leadership. And I want you at this point, buy into this. You are called to leadership. Now, it may not be the concept of leadership that you learned about when you went to your seminars or read your books, but um, hopefully we can open up a new vista of possibilities for you because there's true joy in being the leader in life that God's called you to be. Let me make it as simple for you and as broad as I possibly can by simply saying that if you have responsibilities, you have opportunities to be a leader. Whether it's as a child being given the task of cleaning the bathrooms, that was one of my uh, chores. Couldn't go out on a Saturday morning, I had to clean the bathrooms. That task, that responsibility, was an opportunity for me to show leadership. And every task or every responsibility that you've ever been given in life, in whatever form it is, no matter how big, no matter how great, no matter how small, narrow, no matter how many people see it and are affected by it or how many people don't see it and are maybe indirectly affected, that is a chance for you to be a leader and to show leadership. Are you a, a family member? If you are not a family member, I'd like to talk to you at the end of the service because I want to find out how you got here. I'm just, just a little curious. So are you a family member? How about a co-worker? Has anybody got a job where you've never seen your boss or a fellow worker? You just woke up one day and you had a job. Oh, everybody who has a job has a co-worker. So if you, if you, if you are a co-worker to somebody, if you've ever been assigned a task and you are the manager of that task. If you're the member of a team, if you're the member of an organization, if you are the member of a community, we're a community within a community within a community. 
So if any of these things apply to you, being a family member, coworker, manager of a task, having given responsibility for assignments in a team, organization, or community, you have an opportunity to be a leader, every single one of you. You're in a position to exercise leadership. And I'm going to share with you what Peter said about leadership. You might not have, uh, you might not have identified this verse as a verse having to do with leadership, uh, if you've read it before, but I assure you it has everything to do with leadership. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Peter says in verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Even when they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see or they will be led by your honorable behavior. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So you see that what Peter is saying is, if you exercise proper leadership among your neighbors and those around whom you live, they can be turned from dishonoring God to honoring God, from not knowing God to knowing God, and be able to give him praise on the day of judgment. How does that happen? How does someone become turned from darkness to the light? Because someone led them. Someone took a leadership responsibility and became an example to others around them. And so every Christian is called to be a leader. And that's exactly what Peter says. And he says the way that you are a leader among your neighbors is to live properly among them, to live honorably. And when they see you honoring God through the gift that God's put in your life, it helps them to see this God that they have heard about. Now let me say uh, a few things about godly leaders. And you may want to contrast this in your mind with your idea of leaders and what leaders are. The influence of godly leaders comes more from who they are than what they do. Godly leaders are more focused on their being than they are on their doing. Their leadership comes out of their existence. Godly leadership is developed in your relationship with God. I taught a number of years ago in the series, the four F's, fellowship, focus, function, and fruit. Fruit begins with fellowship with God. That's where true leadership begins. True leaders make fellowship with God the place where they go to develop leadership. They don't just jump into function. Let me learn some skills. Let me learn how to get people to do what I want them to do, how to manage them, how to assign them tasks, and how to inspire them to do those tasks. That's all function. True godly leaders don't start with function. They start with fellowship because they know that where they are leading people is not just to a task but ultimately to God and to giving him glory for the tasks that they are able to fulfill. So because a true godly leader focuses more on who he or she is, they're focusing on the gift within them. That is the core of their fellowship. They're fellowshipping with God. As the Lord has begun to speak to me again in my life about the gifting in my life, I worship him with my gift in my hand. I come before the Lord and say, Lord, you have called me and put certain gifts in me. Those gifts worship you this morning. If you were called to be a teacher, then you would get up in the morning and you would say, Lord, the teacher worships you today. I come before you and I acknowledge you as a teacher. The gift of teaching within me opens the door of praise and welcomes Jesus in. May your kingdom come and will be done in this teaching gift in me. As it is in heaven, so let it be in my gift. You see how this works? Is You're not just praying a general, broad, abstract prayer, Lord, let your kingdom be done, your kingdom come on earth and be done on earth. But specifically, you see yourself as a steward of certain gifts which have been developed into responsibilities. And you get up every morning and you present yourself to God in those gifts. Paul opened every one of his letters by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just uh, trying to impress people with his rank. He was 
presenting himself and humbling himself through his assignment. I have been given the assignment of an apostle. I write to you. In fact, the gift of the apostle in me writes to you in Rome. You see, there's a huge difference. All of us have met people in life who have some kind of a position and title, and they use it to get attention. And we usually call those people leaders. And that's why, that's why not completely, but it's part of the reason why we have rebellion sometimes. It's because we rebel against poor character that we see in leaders. We don't want to rebel against God's structure and, and the way the universe is supposed to be run, but we find ourselves rebelling when those who are in authority or those that exercise leadership do so in a way that leads people to themselves rather than to God. So you and I ought to be getting up every day and saying, Lord, the teacher, the mother, the food cooker, the massage giver, the pilot, the policeman, the fire putter-outer, whatever your gifting is, the prophet, the one with the gifts of healings, whatever those things are, that gift worships you today. I wear that uniform and I put it on and I worship and acknowledge you in the uniform of the gift that you have put in my life. You understand where we're going with this? So it's important for you and I to see that every one of us has been gifted to become a leader. So leaders are not motivated by a desire to lead people. Now that may sound contradictory, but it's important. Godly leaders have a different motivation than just wanting to get people to follow them. They are motivated not with a desire to get people to follow them, but to influence and to serve. They don't need followers in order to affirm themselves. What they do need, however, is they need, they desperately feel the need, they hunger, they thirst, they pursue, they need to deploy their gift. It's all that they think about because it's where God fulfills them. If God has given you certain gifts in life, and you go through life ignoring them, and constantly pour your energies into other things that other people have said are significant and important, but they're not what God has gifted you to do, but you're doing it trying to, trying to fulfill or please or play to a father or a mother or a grandfather or some person that may have died and gone on, but you're playing to them. They're up in your gallery. They are watching you in the back of your mind and you spend your whole life trying to fulfill their expectations for you and you never fulfill the gift that God has put in you. That is a futile and an empty life and you'll never really be happy that way. But true godly leaders... They see that gift that God's put in them, and what they need is to deploy it. That's what motivates them in their gifting. And when you see that true godly zeal, don't mistake it for pride or for arrogance. Arrogance is arrogance. But zeal is not arrogance. They're two different things. And, of course, our responsibility is to sort that out in our own life, right? But this is why... The true leader, he is playing to an audience of one. He knows that he is accountable to God to fulfill the gift. She knows that she must fulfill and deploy the gift that God has put within her, that dream that's been percolating throughout her life, and she is after it. She grew up wanting to be a mother, raise a family, invest into the future, and she is doing it with joy, with force, with zeal, with purpose, because at the end, she sees her Lord and Master saying, well done, good and faithful handmaiden. You have been faithful with much. Here's 500 children. See if you can take care of them. <laughs> I hope I haven't discouraged anybody from using the gift of motherhood, but at any rate, let me put it to you like this. When you know 
Your gifting is from God. You become consumed with leading by giving and serving through that gift. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. Short, but so profound. <laughs> you know, I've met a few people who said, my gift is encouragement. And every time they open their mouth, it discourages everybody around them. I think, well, get on with it. <laughs> Whatever that gift is, you're not going to learn how to use it until you go before God. Break your own heart. Put selfishness aside. Stop insisting on doing things your way. Most, I find that most people that have a proclivity, a gift, whatever you want to call it, that God's put in them, have spent some years of their life aware on some level, maybe indirectly in their mind, but somehow aware that there's a sense of, there's a sense of purpose. And, they, and you find them oftentimes in life, let's say before they get saved, before they become a Christian, you see them kind of... Uh, partially developing what God's given them to do. One of the people that comes to mind in, in history is the Apostle Paul. You know, God had called him to be a great leader um, and a great warrior for Christ. And we see that he got a sense of that before he was saved. But, of course, he messed up. Just the whole thing was all mucked up and messed up the way he did it because he had, in his sin-polluted mind, he had gotten a hold of that gift, that inspiration, but he was doing it his way. You see that a lot of times with artists. You see it with musicians. Some artists have beautiful talent and just put out trash and garbage and uh, express because they're expressing what's inside of them. But when you come to the Lord, you've got to be able to lay self down. Let God break that and uh, let, that, let the influence of sin be broken off of your life and let God raise up what he says is the way that that gift ought to operate. So at any rate, he says, you that uh, have been given the gift of encouragement, encourage. And he goes on to say, if your gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. I think that's fantastic because it takes the commandment to love others and makes it specific based on the gift that God has put within you. The greatest way that each and every one of you can show love is by being who you are. Not trying to be me or be somebody else or do what you think other people are interested. Do what God has given you an interest to do. Be what God has, has given you a focus for. It's the best avenue through which you can show love to others. Now, there are three, three types of attributes that leaders use or rely upon to influence others, and I'd like to mention them. The first one is what I call leadership by natural attributes. This is the lowest form of leadership because it's based on the value that other people attribute to you because of your appearance, your possessions, or your athleticism. But you know that many, maybe most, of the leaders throughout history fall into that category. They were leaders because of their appearance. Remember King Saul? The people wanted Saul to be king. God didn't want Saul to be king, but he was a head taller than everybody else. It was because of their possessions. Many people in history became leaders because they had an army. Or they had more money than anybody else. Influence. 
What about athleticism? Stronger than everyone, the strongman principle. All those forms of leadership that have usually turned out bad in life and have not produced good results, not always, but often, are because people became leaders because other people love them because of their appearance, love them because of their possessions, or love them because of what they could do athletically. The lowest form. That leadership is often referred to as leadership through privilege. And it's why oftentimes underprivileged people hate leaders. Because they see most leaders are in that position because they've been given privilege. And they lead with a sense of right. It's my right to be a leader. And it's often referred to as leadership by privilege because it's the power that other people are willing to give to you in exchange for what your attributes are worth to them. That explains celebrity worship. We make those silly people leaders when many of them, when every one of them truly are called of God to be a leader but probably in other areas, in other ways. But we make them leaders over areas that they're not qualified to be leaders in because of what we attribute to their talents, because of what we get from them, the sense of protection they give us, or the sense of whatever it is that, uh, that we enjoy from them. So that leadership, if you're a leader, and oftentimes these people are referred to as natural leaders. How many of you have heard that term before? Oh, she's a natural leader. He's a natural leader. That may not always be incorrect or wrong, but too often, too often of the time, the idea of natural leaders comes from the idea that natural attributes determine who our leaders are. And so they, those who have become leaders through natural attributes, naturally after a while, they get the idea that their, their leadership is a right that they have a right to lead, and that's why they're leading. So the belief that natural attributes should determine who our leaders are has produced terrible confusion about what real leadership is and how it works. Some of you this morning may not have ever considered yourself as a leader because you have looked to other people who have natural attributes, and you think, well, those are the leaders, and I don't see myself as having those natural attributes. So you disqualify yourself. Most of the population of human history have deferred themselves to the upper 10 or 5 or maybe less percent of people who have those natural leadership, quote unquote, positions and have shut down their own responsibility to be godly leaders while they make themselves servants of power-hungry tyrants. Unfortunately, that happens all too often. So natural leaders, natural leadership or natural attributes can be helpful, but they're not the reason why you should be a leader. Number two, the second quality of leadership is leadership by character attributes. When you accept and use the gifts that God has put in you and you do it with grace, and you do it with zeal, unashamed, unapologetic, pursuing that gift, and with humility, it influences other people around you to do the same. That's called leadership through character. Nobody is going to come to the Lord because they see your good character until they see you operating in the gift God's given you and doing it with good character. And good character is balancing humility and grace with zeal. When people see you zealously being who you are and doing it in an attractive way, a way that's attractive because it's humble and it lets the glory of God and his love shine through, the thing that eventually they begin to see is I can do that. They want to be themselves. You being yourself doesn't inspire me to be you. It inspires me to be me. Somebody say amen if you get what I'm saying. 
Hallelujah. In fact, um, 1 Peter 4 and 12, Paul writes to Timothy, who's young pastor. In his youth, he's, he's come to a place of great responsibility as the first bishop over the church of Ephesus. And Paul writes to him and says, Let no one look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. So I love the way he balances the zeal with the humility. Don't let others look down upon you. Let me stop for a moment. He is not saying, I want you to get out there and I want you to bark them down and I want you to rebuke them and I want you to make them listen to you if they disrespect you and you've been made, you're this young dude who's been made the pastor of this church and uh, they, don't, uh, they don't respect you, then uh, you just make them knuckle under and force yourself on them. That is, how many of you know that's probably not what he's saying? When he, says, when he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, he's probably saying, when you feel that lack of acceptance, don't let it push you down. Don't you shrink back and not bring your gift out. Instead, pursue the Lord with zeal. Bring that gift out and just double down on the humility. Do it, be bold, and be humble. And let, let God take care of of the results. So he says, don't let anyone look down on you, but be an example to believers. Listen to what he said. Your speech, your conduct, your love, your faithfulness, and your purity. You know, those, what, five? One, two, three, four, five? I would take those little five things to your devotional closet. Lord, I'm my speech, my conduct, my love, my faithfulness, and purity. I come to you this morning, tweak all that in me. Help me Lord, to be an example through these areas of the gift that you've put in me to encourage others. And by doing that, then people won't despise the gift that is in me. Okay, the third way, the third thing that, that godly leader, or that, that, uh, the third way that people lead or influence others is leadership by anointed fellowship. Anointed fellowship. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me while I'm following Christ, which I think has implied in it the idea that if you see that I stop following Christ, don't follow me stopping following Christ. In other words, Paul says, I'm not your leader unless I am Jesus' follower. While I'm following Jesus, you can follow me. That really is the highest form of leadership because you can't be a leader without being a follower. In fact, <clears throat> what are you leading people to? If you are the end user of authority, if you are the center of authority, then you're leading people to yourself in whatever endeavor or whatever thing that you're doing. Picture it in your business setting. If some of you work in a... In a, uh, in a corporate environment, the reality is, is there's always something above you and beyond you, and that should be what you're leading people to. For the Christian, it's you following Jesus. That's where we ought to be leading people to. So follow me as I follow Christ. God sent the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do I need to describe what it is? It's the presence of God materially imparted to your life for a purpose. The presence of God materially imparted to your life for a purpose. So God has imparted his presence. The anointing was sent to empower givers of God's gifts. That's what the anointing is for. And leadership by anointed fellowship means that you, in your pursuit of God's gift, will have God's anointing come upon you. And you need to pursue the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need to pursue God's presence. God's presence, and here is a $64,000 point. If you can grab this, it's worth more than gold. 
The anointing endorses your followership of Christ, not you as a follower of Christ. The anointing on your life is there as an endorsement of your followership, not of you as a person. And the reason why that's important is we all know people who have had the anointing of God and gifting in their life, and somewhere they've gone off. And people get confused because they think, well, God anointed them. That they see that anointing as an endorsement of that man or that woman. But the anointing was empowerment to exalt Jesus. It was empowerment to serve through that gift. When you stop giving God glory, when you have gone off the path, that gift is without repentance. God doesn't take it back, but it's not operating the way it should. And people then begin to become confused. And that's where the image of leadership begins to become a problem. We should be leading through anointed fellowship. God has given his anointing to your life as an endorsement of the gift that is within you. As long as you live for that gift and pursue that gift, God's anointing is there as your partner in life. So the greatest leadership throughout human history has been provided by men and women who followed God's anointing in their own lives. Think about it. We read about these people in the Bible all the time. Abraham, <clears throat> Gideon. The first thing that God says when he finds Gideon hiding in that wine vat is, he says, hail, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, is there anyone else in here? That... And he says, no, I'm talking to you, mighty man of valor. And so God has to introduce Gideon to Gideon. He has to first get Gideon to buy into the gift that God has put into his life. And Gideon's not real fast at doing it. Gideon says, well, give me a sign. And there's, of course, the story of the fleece. And Gideon had to be helped into believing that that gift was in his life. But once he began to see that as he obeyed and followed God and uh, through much risking of the life, as he did it, he saw the anointing working with him. Jesus didn't show up by that wine vat and said, Gideon, I love everybody, but I really dig you, man. And I'm going to anoint you. Now, you could just go on and be any kind of a person you want to be, but I'm with you, man. I, you know, you're anointed, and so if you all of a sudden just become proud, arrogant, you know, snotty, people can't put up with you, barely stand you, but my anointing's with you, and, and uh, they better not touch my anointed and do my prophets no harm. And so you get these people, these men and women, that just go totally berserk. And then if anyone stands up and says anything about it, they get shut down by that, oh, don't you touch God's anointed. I'm not touching God's anointed. God's anointed's on the gift. He needs to get back to God's anointed gift. You see what I'm saying? So leadership by anointed fellowship. These greatest leaders throughout history, like, like Gideon, like David, like, like the prophets, like, like Peter, like John, um, all of these people throughout history followed God's anointing in their own life. And they became like human portals for heaven's glory. Their fellowship, as they followed Christ, their fellowship was like that portal into heaven, into glory, and other people around them were able to see that the blessing of God, which they thought was holy, beyond reach, and unattainable, in the natural became accessible in Christ. True godly leaders help others to see that God's blessings are attainable through Christ. Here's the altar call this morning. The other verse, how many of you remember I did give you a second verse? Genesis chapter 30. You might be thinking, what in the world does give me children or else I die have to do with what you're talking about this morning? 
I think it has everything to do with it. Rachel is stunningly beautiful. Jacob has two wives. Uh, Rachel's the beautiful one. Rachel is loved. Her husband's crazy about her. She's got the best car. She's got the nicest pad. She's got all the clothing, everything. When there's a party, he takes her. Leah has to stay home with all those kids she's had. Rachel's barren. She doesn't have children. Rachel probably would have been a different person if she'd have been a 21st century woman. But she wasn't. And uh, Rachel cries out to God. Year after year, she sees that she's barren and can't have children, while Leah, the second wife, not too attractive, but boy, can she produce kids. And she's just cranking them out. Well, Rachel cries out one day to her husband, and she said, and you could see her grabbing his tunic by the collar. Give me children, or else I don't have any reason to live. I might as well die. I don't know if it was a threat of suicide or just her saying, I see no reason to go on living anymore. Here's the altar call. We should cry out to God for the birth of our gift so that we can become leaders to a lost generation. Because that's what Rachel was crying for. She wanted to lead her own little flock. She wanted to produce her own little sheep, and she wanted to lead them. She wanted to give. She was sick and tired of being a glorified receiver. She was receiving love. She was receiving money. She was receiving favor. Everybody wanted her at every event, but she was not happy. She was not satisfied. She cries out, give me children or I shall die. You see, out of Rachel's design as a wife and as a mother to bear children, she cries out, and in effect she says this, if I can't exercise the gift of motherhood, and lead children into the future, I find no purpose in living. She wants to be a giver. She wants to be a leader. She finds no fulfillment in her remarkable beauty, in her highly favored status, as a privileged recipient of Jacob's love, his favor, his wealth. In fact, being a receiver was not enough to live for, if she couldn't give her gift of leadership to the world. And so there's no amount of compensation that can turn Rachel away from making fulfilling her gift the only thing that she wants to live for. She's become a royal pain in the neck to her husband. And there was stress and tension. If you read the narrative, there was tension between Jacob. Just imagine if you were Jacob. And here's Rachel. Jacob's just pragmatic. He's saying, hey, woman, you know, a lot of women can't have children. But look at you. You're just stunning. Everybody loves you. I'm crazy about you. You know, you know whatever you want, you've got it. Look at your clothes closet. Look at what's parked in the driveway. Look at your bank account. The woman had everything. And he says to her, one day, as she's crying out, give me children or else I die, she says, he says to her, isn't my love enough for you? Now, I don't want to stretch this allegory out of context, but I think I can fit this in the context by saying to you, what if that's you and I saying to our Lord, he is the husband of the bridegroom, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me everything. Thank you for my highly favored position. But if I can't bear fruit, if I can't be a leader, if I can't be useful, all this getting means nothing to me. I've gotten to the point where if I don't bear fruit and if I can't become a leader and pour myself out, to make a contribution to the next generation, I don't want to live. There comes a point that 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 satiation, that that uh, 
that place where you're filled up, how much more can you get? How much praise can you get from people and you be satisfied? Rachel had enough praise to last her five lifetimes. It wasn't enough. You and I, and Rachel proves it, were designed to give. And she got down to that essential design in her life and said, either I become a leader and a giver or I can't live anymore. And her husband was totally frustrated because he said, I've given you everything I can give you. If I could give you the sun, the stars, and the moon, you all know the songs, I would pull them out of the sky and give them to you. So she is crying by proxy through her husband to God. And God answered her. And God gave her two wonderful sons, became two of the great tribes of Israel. So here's where we're at this morning. Rachel didn't want children as fashion accessories. She didn't want children because she wanted to be surrounded by little ones that heaped praise on her. Oh, mommy, you're wonderful. She didn't want children to uh, adore her and affirm her. She was drowning in adoration. She was sick of adoration. She was sick of getting attention. She didn't want to get. She wanted to give. Are you getting that this morning? Rachel didn't want children so that it could fill something in her. She wanted to output. She wanted to give. And so she was not looking to get, but desperate to give. And this morning, if I could bring us to any conclusion, I'd love to bring us to the place where we are desperate to give. You know, in a moment we're going to pray. And the scripture says that Jesus Christ is in you. Everyone say, Jesus is in me. If you're saved and he's Lord of your life, then Christ is in you. Paul said, Jesus is in you, the hope of glory. If we don't get Jesus out of you, there's not going to be any glory. Listen to me. Preachers are constantly concerned with and focused on trying to preach Jesus into people. But the best thing we can do for people is preach Jesus out of them. Get you to become a giver. Get you to pour yourself out. If you will pour yourself out, if you will pursue that gift, if you'll become a giver of Christ in you, let me tell you, you'll know happiness. The true joy of becoming a leader. You see, real leaders, true leaders, don't have an easy life. If they're really godly leaders, they're breaking their life open constantly, like the seed that falls to the ground and dies and pours out. Their joy is what John the Baptist said. When the disciples of John came to him and said, hey man, all your disciples have run off and they're following Jesus. He says, good, I'm happy. He said, because that's what it was all about, is following Jesus. This my joy is fulfilled. And so I would to God that each and every one of us would say, Lord, make me a leader or else I die. Make me a leader or I have no other reason to live. I think if we put it in those kinds of terms, God in you will begin to have a relationship on a new and intense level. Let's stand up this morning and let's pray. I've